wait. Before you listen to this episode, I just had to tell you about our new free mini wealth building training. In this training, we're covering the first steps to building wealth, how to find your personalized wealth path, how to find and analyze deals, and then some. So don't miss out on this free training. I mean, what do you have to lose? It's free. Sign up at www.abundantculture.co slash newsletter. Don't let delay get in the way of your abundant year. Now, back to the episode. Welcome back to Abundant Culture Podcast. Where we dissect the mindsets and tactics of the true beast of business. People like Gary Vee, Grant Cardone, and Warren Buffett. All to create a blueprint to experience life more abundantly. Hi, Sean, and thank you again for coming on to the Abundant Culture Podcast. We are super excited to have you today because when I talked to you a couple of weeks ago, our conversation was awesome, and I was really excited about this topic. But before we get into like the strategy, execution, business side of things, we have to ask you, what is your backstory? Like, How'd you get into business? That's a, that's a great question, Jasmine. And, and I had a great time talking to you a couple of weeks too. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. So the, how I got into business, well, I probably started in business at the age of uh, 12. And, and that was so long ago. Many of your listeners probably can't connect with this. Uh, I was actually the paper boy in my neighborhood. Uh, and, uh, you know, so my, my first entrepreneurial job was out uh, slinging papers at 430 in the morning and uh, then collecting. And, and it was it was just a great first job. But how I got into it, probably the, your real question is how to get into this job. And uh, it, it would go to uh, right out of university. Uh, I started a corporate job with a company in California. It was a great company, uh, Pacific Gas Electric. Had an engineering background, and uh, over uh, I spent seven years at PG&E, and a lot of great people. It was a great organization going through through a lot of change, and and but in spite of a great organization and great people, one of the things that I was struck by was in in spite of great people, they really weren't enabled to do the best that they could every day. And, and it wasn't anybody's fault. It wasn't like there were people sitting around going, oh, how do we keep people from being really able to be productive and produce stuff and do great work, take care of our customers? It was just kind of the, the bureaucracy and the size and, and everybody kind of had their silo that they played in. And there were just so many levels in the organization. And, and so I kept thinking my whole time at PG&E and, and they, were, they were super good to me, uh, seven different jobs in seven years. Uh, I assumed that they were just trying to find anything productive that I could actually do, which was nice. Uh, they, they kept paying me more, so maybe that was a good sign. But, but the thing I was really struck by was the, this compelling thought. There just has to be a better way to create organizations where people can contribute their best. And seven, seven or so years into my uh, PG&E career, I crossed paths with a couple of dudes that had a, a, a small boutique consulting practice in San Francisco Bay Area. And it turned out that they were interested in the same things that I was interested in. So I left PG&E, uh, joined their firm and, uh, and worked with them for a couple, three years. We had a great time. And then we all just kind of went our own separate ways to pursue our own consulting careers which led to the creation of my, my independent uh, firm. And, and I've been on that mission since then for the better part of the last 30 years, which is around creating great organizations where people can contribute their best. And so that's, that's kind of how I got into business. Awesome. That is awesome. So 
Uh, let's start diving a little bit more into the meat and potatoes. Um, how do you help these companies come up with like the best strategies for top performance? Right. That's a uh, strategy. People use strategy for to mean a lot of different things. We go with a pretty classic definition of strategy, which is how do you distinguish yourself in the marketplace? How do you create value that's unique and different from what anybody else does? And, and to me, that applies whether you've got a for-profit corporation or you're a small independent startup working out of a garage, uh, or you've got a nonprofit is for the for our target audience, for the people that we want to do business with, or if you're a nonprofit, the people that we want to serve, what is it that you do that makes you unique? What's the value that you add that's different than what anybody else does? So the conversation always starts there. Uh, again, whether we're working with corporations or small startups or, or nonprofits and independents, it's let's, let's try to figure out what it is that you either do or could do that creates value that's different than anybody else. Then, then that becomes your strategy, how you want to position yourself in the marketplace to attract your chosen set of customers or the customers that you think might find value in what you do. Then you have to start thinking about, okay, if, if that's what our position is going to be, uh, you know, if we're going to be super, we're going to have a retail store. And look, we know in retail is just, it's so difficult to be successful in bricks and mortar retail today. Mm-hmm. But if you if you decided you were going to do that, what makes somebody want to come into your store or come into your restaurant or whatever different from the restaurant across the street or around the corner or having everything delivered by DoorDash uh, or of that retail store? Why would I come shop with you versus shopping Amazon or anybody, any place else that I could shop online, right? And so that's, that's really thinking through what that, what that is. And then, and now, then what do you have to do to make that come alive? What are the things that you do? And, and then the other thing is a uh, strategy is also about choosing what you're not going to do because you can't be all things to all people. And yeah. so making sure that for the audience that you want to do business with, know what's going to be a value, do that and not a whole bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I really like that because it reminds me of um, there's this uh, entrepreneur. I think his name is uh, is Mike McCallowitz, and he has this book called The the Pumpkin Plan. And I only heard the review of the book. I haven't actually read the book yet, but um, he was talking about how it's more important to be different than it is to be the best, because you could be the best at something, but people might not necessarily notice that you're the best at it. But if you're just wildly different from everybody else, even if you're not, quote unquote, the best by, you know, a statistical factor, uh, people still notice like, oh, well, you do this and they don't, you know, you do this a lot differently and they can't replicate it. And I think that's something that really resonates uh, within the marketplace. Uh, I think that's spot on. In fact, I've got a a book on my shelf. If you like that, then there's a book called The Blue Ocean Strategy. Uh, Maybe you've read it, you know, mostly. Okay. Mostly what we do, that idea of just just being the best, that might give you a little bit of competitive advantage, but that's also repeatable. Other people can replicate that. They can copy that. If you're doing the same things that everybody else is doing just a little bit better, in the, in the blue ocean strategy, they call that fighting it out. 
in the in the red ocean, the bloody red ocean. Yeah. The the whole idea of the blue ocean strategy is go go find that space where you're just different. And there you, then you're out there all by yourself and people have to come to you for for that thing, whatever that is. Absolutely. And so what are like what are some examples that you've seen uh people doing differently like to differentiate themselves? Okay, uh, I'll give you a couple examples just local uh, to me. Uh, we've got a, uh, a retail store uh, in, in our town. It's, it's, it's a relatively fashionable, both men's and women's clothing. And uh, the, the, the people who run it, uh, look, they know that they're competing uh, against a whole bunch of online retailers. They're also repeating, they're competing against big box, box retailers that are doing, selling similar kind of clothes less dramatically less expensive than this than this retailer can do and so they they're but they they just customize the experience to every customer who walks in the door so when i go in man they make sure that they know what it is that they've learned over time what things i like uh what things are going to fit me well uh, same thing with my wife. They know what things that she's going to like that, you know, what, what her style is, how she wants to, you know, kind of in some ways her own personal brand or my personal brand, what we want to look like, feel like. And, and so they've, they're, they're actually thinking ahead of what's going to be that, that we might like that, that we think is going to make us look really good. Uh, they'll, they'll call us when they think that they've got something on the rack that, you know, that's just come into the store or they're getting ready to order some stuff that we might be interested in. So they're just, they're just two steps ahead and they make it, they make it in that, in that sense, they make it super easy. And they also, we, we know that they're always looking out for our best interest. You know, they're not going to send me out of the store in some shirt that might look good on somebody else and just looks completely dorky on me. Right. And it's Absolutely. easy to make me look dorky pretty fast. So, <laughs> you know, and, and then, uh, we, we've got restaurants around us, you know, a couple, a couple, and we have lots of small uh, independent restaurants around us. And it's easy if, if it's, well, first of all, it's, it's tough. It's always tough to be in the restaurant business. Um, yeah. But, but it's especially tough to be in the restaurant business right now. And if you're a small independent restaurateur trying to compete against the, the big chains makes it even more complicated. Uh, your, your chance of survival is pretty close to see if you can make it a year uh, that's that you feel like you're doing really well. But again, yeah. what they do is they, they, they make sure that they're customizing the experience. Now, obviously they have really good food, but back to your point earlier, it, it's not enough just to have the best food right? Because other people have good food. It's yeah. how do we customize that experience to make it unique and special? So when you walk in the restaurant, you really kind of feel like you're on vacation. You're being taken care of. People are anticipating your needs. So I, I think in, in those kind of businesses, those are some of the things that we see make people different and better and, and add, add that value that you can't get other places. That's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. I really like um, how like the example of the store, uh, just because like, it's like those little tiny details that people, other people may miss over that the person's company or whatever doesn't. And that is the exact thing that continues to bring you into their store. Um, I just find that so fascinating that, and it, it's also all about like the experience customization as well. I just really do find that fascinating because everybody tries to figure out like, how can I be different? Well, just think 
about the details, I guess. <laughs> Well, you think about the details, and as we talk about in the, in the uh, Get In Gear book, one of the keys to executing strategy, one of the big keys, and, and in some ways, one of the most foundational, and it, and it seems silly in a way because we all know this, but the idea of right people in the right roles with the right capabilities. And I, I would say that for, the, for that retail store or that restaurant that's distinguishing themselves, they're very particular about who they hire. And, you know, the, the retail, the clothing retailer, they're hiring people who care a lot about clothes and they care a lot about pa fashion, but they also care a lot about people. And, and so you, you, not everybody walks in off the street and can get a job there. Uh, I mean, you've, you've got to have the capabilities or have the ability to build the capabilities that they're looking for that are going to fit their strategy. Because if, if, if you're not outgoing, if you're not going to connect with customers, if you're not going to care enough about the fashion and, and, and what's going to work well for them, you can probably get a job in a lot of retailers. You, you just can't get a job there. Yeah. And I think that's a good point, too, because I think as business owners, and even I've made this mistake before, but I think a lot of times we hire people who can do the thing, but not hire people who have the right uh, personality to connect right. with the customer. Right. And, and I think that's so important that uh, entrepreneurs, business owners realize that um, it's not about like, you know, for example, I have a coffee shop. It's not just about, can they make a great cup of coffee? That, right. you know, and that's all I cared about in the beginning. Like if yes. anybody who could make a great cup of coffee would have, you know, got the job. But then I started to realize, you know, at the end of the day, uh, one of the things I found that was really cool that was one of my employees would actually receive Christmas gifts from some of our customers because she right. connected with them so well. Right. And it's like, wow, even though like, yeah, making a cup of coffee is great. You know, I, I want to hire the person who could get Christmas gifts from our customers because our customers love them so much. Yeah. So I think it's uh, looking at that aspect of the personality, kind of like you said, are they outgoing? Do they care about people? I think that's something that um, especially new business owners might not pay attention to, but it's so, so key. And it's something that I even, uh, you know, try to hone in more now, more than I did in the beginning. Yeah, that, that's absolutely spot on, right? Because part of your part of your strategy, what makes that coffee shop unique is that personal service, that personal touch. Yeah. Absolutely. So sure, you know, and, and look, that, that mistake of hiring people purely for the technical functional skills, we make that all the time, right? Somebody who yeah. can make a good cup of coffee. Great, you're hired. Well, but but if your strategy, if what makes you unique, why I would come into your coffee shop versus going into somebody else's coffee shop is that personal service, that personal touch. Well, that that is probably a more important hiring criteria because that's actually hard to teach. You know, people yeah. who want to work really well on a team, that's hard to teach. Mm -hmm. I can teach you to make a cup of coffee. I, I can't teach you to work and play well with others. You know, you're, yeah. you're probably should have done that 30, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I, <laughs> I can teach you how to make a cup of coffee. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so true. Yep. So since you uh, just brought up the book, can you uh, like, briefly go through uh, each of those seven gears? Like what are the seven gears that uh, take people from the strategy to the, the end result? Sure. Yeah, I'd be glad to do it. And, and you know, so first, the, the background behind the book is we, we recognized and it's incredibly well documented in, in the literature, but we also saw it in our own practice 
that working with uh, our clients on strategy or clients who already had a strategy, there was a huge gap between strategy and the results, getting the results they expected from the strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the literature would say that 75 to 90% of companies come up short of getting what they expect from, from their strategy. And, and we experienced that. So I began thinking, okay, so what is it? Now, why do, why do 10, maybe 20, 25% of organizations out there get it right, but 75% come up short? And, and, and so it, it, what we found was there are really these seven things that explain most of the gap. And, and we, we built them into the book. We call them gears because the idea that they connect, the, it's the seven gears that connect strategy to result. Yeah. So what are those seven gears? Well, the first one we've already talked about a little bit, which is the, the right people in the right roles with the right capability. And I mean, it makes a lot of sense that you have a hard time getting results if you don't have the right people with the right capabilities. Yeah. But the subtlety is, is in those things that we already talked about, which is it's not just the person who can make a good cup of coffee, or it's not just the person uh, who can ring the cash register in a retail environment or, you know, cook a good steak or, or, you know, be a good server on the front end of a restaurant. But it's what's unique to your strategy. What, what do those people have to bring and, and what, kind of culture do you put them in that allows them to be successful? And then how do you build those capabilities over a period of time? Because in our organizations, the capabilities you have to have to be successful are changing all the time if you want to stay ahead of the competition. So that's that's the first gear. The, the second gear is, a, the, is, is around aligning the organization's architecture to the strategy. So what do I mean by strategy or uh, architecture? It's, it's the systems, the structures, the processes, and the culture that, that align to the strategy. So if we, if we say, look, one thing is important, but then I pay you for something else, your compensation system rewards a different kind of behavior, I'm going to get that second thing. I'm going to get what the compensation system you know, rewards. You know, yeah. We were working with a client one time that they wanted teamwork, but all of their compensation was driven by what an individual performed. And they kept trying to fight the tide and until they aligned the compensation system to, hey, we're going to deliver teamwork and and then they weren't going to get what they wanted. And then amazingly, as soon as they realigned the compensation system, almost overnight, people began to perform that way. So that that second gear around aligning the architecture, the the third gear, and it's the third of the three foundation gears, right, 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 and align the architecture. The third of the foundation gears is what we call creating a culture of communication. Uh, and I also, in, in organizational life, I, I feel like it's, we describe it in the book, it's the unicorn. It's this yeah. mysterious creature that's out there that we all believe is there, but you rarely ever see it. It's unbelievably beautiful when you come across it. And, yeah. and you find some organizations where you just get great communication up, down, sideways, bad news travels as fast as good news. Um, and, and people listen intently and deeply and empathetically. Uh, and, and that's what you're really after. If it, because that, that enables so many other things when, you know, first of all, if I'm at the front line of the organization or I'm the newest team member in the company, even if it's a company of five people, if, if, if people believe that everybody has a right to know, not a need to know, um, and then we, we listen to each other and we can hold the tough conver- conversations with each other. It just makes all of the rest of what we do uh, from an execution and delivering results standpoint a whole lot easier. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So those are the, the first three gears, the foundation gears. And then the, the other four gears are what we call the performance gears. Those are the ones that are built that, that really align individual performance or team performance to the strategy and goals of the organization. So the, the four performance gears, so uh, gear four is uh, um, the, the idea of, of setting SET, start end timeframe, result-oriented goals. So everybody has specific results that they need to achieve, or every team has specific results that they need to achieve that are aligned perfectly with the results of the organization. Interestingly, we, we play this game, and this is one of the things I always encourage people to do when they whether they read the book or not, but is to play this game that we call five on five, and 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 that is uh, have each team member write down their what they think their top five goals are, and then have the manager or supervisor write down what they think those people's top five goals are. So you've got two lists of five goals each. Theoretically, you ought to get a five on five match. Well, yeah. well, on average, what we find is only two of the five goals actually overlap with each other, okay. which means that 40% of the time, maybe people are working on what their boss thinks is important. And we haven't even talked yet about how well connected that is to the strategy, but 40% of the time, maybe they're working on something that the boss thinks is important, which leaves the opportunity that 60% of the time they're not. Well, it's pretty hard to get real great translation of your strategy to results if 60% of the time people are out just you know, kind of lost, busy, doing activity, but not really generating important results. So yeah, result ordering goals. The, the next gear is visible scorecards. And the analogy I used is so a visible scorecard that tells me, you know, whether it's daily, hourly, weekly, how I'm performing versus my goal. People love and the intensity of effort picks up when I've got a scorecard that gives me the feedback that I need to tell me whether I'm on track or not. Uh, and this is the simplest way I know to explain it. Let, let's say you're driving down the road and there's a playground where you've got two different basketball courts right next to each other. Kids are playing basketball on each court. On one court, they're keeping score. And on the other court, they're playing, but they're not keeping score. How quickly would you be able to tell the difference between the two courts? It's, it's almost instantaneous from, from yeah. 300 yards away. We know the, the court where the, the kids are pushing, they're working harder, they're yeah. challenging each other, they're giving each other more feedback, they're more high fives, right? They're, those, that's the court where they're keeping score. On the kids, where they, the other court, they may be having fun, but yeah. they're not playing with the intensity that they are on the, on the court where they're keeping score. And, and so yeah. that scorecard is important because it creates intensity. Absolutely. Right? Uh, and, and then gear six, it, we call it uh, identify the performance drivers. Well, performance drivers, what's that? The performance drivers are the critical tasks or behaviors people do to actually hit the goal. Um, and, and, and one of the things we've discovered is in almost all walks of life, whether you're playing defensive back in the NFL uh, or you're a salesperson or you're a customer service rep, there are probably two or three things that you're doing that are, if you're great, the great performers are doing two or three things differently than the average or even good performers. Yeah. Now, a lot of us do a lot of the same things, but they're those few things, those critical performance drivers. What is it that the great salesperson does that's just a little bit different than the average or poor salesperson? So identifying those performance drivers 
and then making sure that, that you track the execution of the performance drivers so that most of your time gets spent on those things and not all the other stuff that's grabbing for our attention every day. Absolutely. Okay. And then, and then the seventh gear, the last gear is the one that hold. it's the glue that holds everything together. We call it follow up, follow through. So uh, making sure that, that we reinforce what's important. And, and so on a regular rhythm, people have to account for their performance to, you know, their manager, to their supervisor, to the owner of the company, depending upon how, si- how big, the, big, big the organization is. And, and follow, follow through does two things. First of all, it generates learning. So if we're, whether we're on track or off track, we can either learn about why we're on track or if we're off track, if we're not hitting our goals, if we're not on track with our scorecard, we can learn. Is it because we're getting distracted and we're not working on our performance drivers? Are we measuring the wrong stuff? Do I not have the capabilities to do what I need to do? Right? Is there something broken about our organization? You know, that idea of compensated for one thing, but being asked to do something different. So part yeah. of it is learning. But then the other obvious part is just the accountability. Ultimately, people and teams need to be accountable for uh, what, they, what they're supposed to contribute. And so that follow-up, follow-through gear kind of holds everything together and makes performance and makes playing within our value set actually matter. That's awesome. Yes. Like, I wish we had time to go through each one of these individually because they are like, really, really insightful. Like every time you said something, I had a thought, I'm like, man, I wish I had enough time to go through it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did you want to ask a question before I started? No, you can just go ahead. Okay, cool. Um, So I wanted to talk about the result oriented goals. Um, Like, could we dive a little bit deeper into that? Like, how does, like, let's say a manager or a CEO, how do they figure out their result-oriented goal? Sure. Okay. So uh, first thing, it starts with that whole idea of playing that five-on-five game. How well aligned are we? So are we even on the same page of the proverbial playbook, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so the first thing is play five on five, get alignment. And then we're probably just talking goal categories. Um, the, the other, then the next um, step is to think about what, what results am I supposed to deliver? One of the things we find, even with people who have goals or say they have goals, when we ask them what those goals are, they almost always define them in terms of activities, not results. So that salesperson, um, you, know, you know, what's your goal? Well, that's to make uh, 50 sales calls this week. Okay. That's, that's an activity. That's just doing stuff. Um, you know, uh, uh, servers in a restaurant, we ask them, what's your, what's your, what are, what are your goals? Uh, well, I, I wait the tables. Uh, I, I turn the tables. I take orders. Again, those are activities. Those are things you do. Yeah. Those are not the results that you generate. But when we go ask managers of a restaurant, what are the goals of the servers? They, the first thing they always say is make money for the restaurant. Okay, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and then what's the best way to make money for the restaurant? Well, the, the managers are always really clear. The servers are usually confused about it. In most restaurants, the manager would say, sell drinks and desserts. Why? Well, that's, that's where we get the really high margins, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. we don't make a whole lot of money on that steak that we put on the plate. The, the price tag may be really high, but we're not making a lot of money on the steak. Yeah. We make a whole lot of money on a glass of wine or a beer, right? Yeah. Or on a really yummy uh, chocolate dessert at the end. That's where we really make our money. 
and Absolutely. and so so the 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 first thing is the idea that we is just to really think about what results are important for whatever job that we're talking about. Now you talk specifically about leaders, you know, what results that leaders are supposed to deliver. I think leaders, well, first of all, they're supposed to deliver the the mission critical results for the organization, depending upon what my role in the company might be, that might be sell more. Uh, it might be uh, build, you know, better quality into our services uh, or, uh, better improve quality uh, in our manufacturing processes, depending upon what kind of business we're in. If I'm a customer service rep or a customer service manager, it might be to improve the customer experience, uh, you know, the net promoter score, however you might measure, um, you know, what, what your, your, the level of customer service you're providing your customers. And so thinking about the different roles in the organization, you're going to have different things that you need to achieve that, that align back to the, the company strategy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then what is like the best way to communicate that to the team? Like, for example, um, you mentioned like the manager would know what what the real goal is, but then the servers may be confused. How do you like properly communicate that so that they actually understand what you're talking about? I mean, because even in our own coffee shop, like we'll say something to our employees and they almost like fight us on it because they don't understand it. We're like, just do it. Like, I mean, it's, it's simple. <laughs> just, just do what I said. <laughs> right. Right. But, and, and look, sometimes you actually have to get to that point. I mean, sometimes you do have to say, right. It's the uh, gold rule too. He who has the gold makes the rules, um, <laughs> you know? So sometimes it's like, just do it and it's all going to turn out. Okay. But, but usually if, if people understand and, and what, what we see is that it's kind of that communication thing. If people understand, look, here's, here's how we differentiate ourselves in the marketplace. Here's why our coffee shop is different than the coffee shop down the street. Right here. And, and we do that because we have to deliver really superior customer service that, that, and, and even painting that picture of, uh, we, we want you to deliver customer service in a way that you get the Christmas cards. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a great picture for people to have. Um, And then, but then trying to put that into what's, what's the scorecard? How would I know if I was doing a great job in, in, in the coffee shop? Well, first of all, from your perspective, repeat business. I mean, you want to see the same customers coming. You you want to grow the number of customers that are coming in, but you'd love to see those same customers coming back. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and if, if you've got a, coffee shop, are they asking for the people that are there? And, and so painting that picture of what, what you're trying to accomplish can be super helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things we, we talk about a lot is, you know, if you're hiring the right people, what, what creates, you know, passion and commitment? Well, you know, Simon Sinek has is, is kind of popularized this over the last five or 10 years, but the idea of what's your why? Mm-hmm. People, people want to have, we've been talking about purpose-driven leadership for 30 plus years and people, people want to have a cause worthy of commitment. So it starts with what's the cause, right? And it's not just to make the, the coffee shop owners rich though. That I'm sure you all would love that. Yeah. Um, but it, but it's, you've got some cause, you've got something you're really passionate about and hiring people that connect to that that, you know, is, is a start in the right place, but then getting it to, okay, what's my goal. If I'm, if I'm a server, what should my goal be? Well, it's, it's to generate uh, ultimately profit. 
what's that look like for the server? It, you know, how many uh, customers can they serve? Um, how right? Uh, how many customers do they have that come back on a regular basis? Uh, thinking about uh, what if if you have the opportunity to increase the the ring or the revenue from each individual customers. How can you put that into terms that fit for me as a server so that I can contribute to that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And then could you go a little bit deeper on um, the sixth gear, which was the performance drivers? Sure, sure. And and uh, the performance drivers are critical. Again, you think about it in these terms. Um, there are a lot of people uh, who, who say they want to lose weight, right? And that's kind of their their goal. I'm going to lose some weight, uh, or maybe it's stop smoking, or maybe it's going to put enough put enough money away to send my kid to college, or you know, buy a new car, whatever it might be. Okay, so first of all, let's let's start with what the goal really ought to be. We we love that goal for losing weight to be in set terms, start in time frame. So I'm starting at 185. Uh, I want to be 175 pounds by say January 1st. 2021, which is really interesting coming through the getting ready to start the holidays. That's a, that's a, that's a stretch goal. That's a tough goal, but let's yeah. say you want to lose 10 pounds between now and the end of the year. Now we all know that there, you know, what, so what are the performance drivers? What are the activities that I undertake to be able to lose weight? Well, pretty commonly, we know that there are two. One is uh, how much food do I put in my mouth? right? And managing that. And then the other is how much do I exercise? Uh, and, and if you spend any time studying, you know that how much food you eat is, is 80% of the battle and the, the uh, um, how much you exercise is the other 20% of the battle. So that's what we mean by performance drivers. What are those things you actually do? And so whether you're a salesperson, we talk about that salesperson who maybe wants to increase the, the volume of sales in their territory from 100,000 units to 150,000 units by the end of 2021. That'd be a 50% increase in sales. That'd be pretty awesome. Well, that salesperson has to do some stuff. What are those critical things that great salespeople do? Well, they think about who their customers are that are most like are the most likely buyers of, product, of the products and services that they're trying to sell. They don't sell to everybody. They sell to very targeted customers. That would be one of those things. So, so thinking about you know, doing the, the territory profile, who are the best customers within the territory to sell to? Another thing that, that great salespeople do that's different from others is they do the, the account profile. They think about exactly who that customer is. What are they about? What are they like? What are they not like? What about my products and services are going to fit well with what their needs are? And they put a lot of effort into understanding those needs. Well, now they've got the account profile. They've got good products and services to match their, well, they're money ahead of the game versus the person who's just out cold calling. And, and so they've, they've distinguished those performance drivers that distinguish great performance from maybe okay performance, maybe even good performance, but they've identified those critical behaviors that distinguish them, right? And, and so going back to what I said earlier, in almost everything you do, they're the, the people who perform great do things at least a little bit differently, two or three things, maybe four, a little bit differently than average or mediocre. And, and so that's, so identifying those performance drivers, whether you're selling or being a great customer service rep, or doing a great job as a server in a coffee shop, uh, trying to think about what those critical behaviors are. And then the, the other thing that we, we know is if you track those behaviors, you're gonna be better off than if you don't track the behaviors. Uh, mm -hmm. 
simple example. When I was a kid and I was playing, you know, junior high school, middle school basketball, and I was a, I was a terrible free throw shooter. Man, I was 50, 55% right accurate and, you know, uh, free throw percentage. And the coach said we had to get better. And so the first thing he gave us an activity goal. And, and he said, okay, what are you going to do at the end of that? At the end of every practice is you're going to shoot a hundred free throws. Well, we, you know, 13 year old kids were hungry at the end of man, we shot some ugly free throws, <laughs> absolutely ugly free throws. Well, then the coach got smarter and he said, okay, what, what you have to do before you leave is you have to make a hundred free throws. Well, now we've got a, a result oriented goal, make a hundred free throws before you leave. Well, now we weren't just jacking up ugly looking free throws to get out of there. We had to make better free throws, but then he came along and he started teaching us the performance drivers, how you position your hands, how you position your feet, what you look at two or three things. And, and then by systematically practicing those things. And then we also set up a visible scorecard. Um, we all got, we're smart, right. Kind of in a, in a dumb 13 year old kind of way, we were pretty lazy, but we all had, we put a pencil at the, uh, at the end of the court up against the wall. It was a brick block, a wall, concrete block wall. And so after we, we, he'd record how many free throws we had to shoot to make a hundred. And so we started our own little visible scorecard on the concrete block. And we'd, we'd write down every day. Okay. Today I shot 127 to make a hundred. And the next day it was 125. And then the next practice it maybe it dropped to 120. And so we, we started tracking to see, you know, how quickly could we make those hundred free yeah. throws? Right. So the, 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 just the idea of the performance driver being how you position yourself, how you position your eyes, right? Distinguished the better free throw shooters from the from the worst free throw shooters. Absolutely. Yeah, that was so smart yeah. of you. Like when you're that young to like keep track like that, like yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> so this podcast episode has been absolutely amazing. What is one of the key takeaways you would want somebody to get from everything that we talked about in this episode? Yeah, I, I think for me, it really revolves around, well, I think that the key takeaway is you get these seven gears that connect strategy to results. And instead, you don't have to fix all seven at once. Now, a lot of times, you know, books that people write, they, they want you to fix everything. They want you to make the whole world better tomorrow. We kind of the, the thing that's built into the gears is any seven of the gears may be wobbly, but if I can make one of those gears a little bit less wobbly, I can take a little bit of sand out. I can grease the gear a little bit better. I can make that one run a little bit more smoothly. Then I get a little bit better results Absolutely. and feeds into, I can go work on the next gear and the next gear, or maybe there are two things I can work on at the same time, like goals and scorecard. And, and so you, you can, you can improve if you if you've got the appetite and the capability to work on all seven, go for it. But some are easier to work on than others. Like that whole idea of playing five on five, get your goals aligned. That one's pretty easy. You can do that one today and be better tomorrow or next week, which then allows you the opportunity to figure out which gears are going to be harder to fix and put the effort into fixing those over some period of time. Absolutely. Perfect. So you're on the Abundant Culture Podcast. And we feel the need to ask this question to everybody who comes on because we always get very unique answers to it and very interesting answers as well. And what that question is, is whether it be in your business, uh, your personal life, or even in your spirituality, how do you like to spread abundance to the people around you? 
Uh, let's see. Well, there, there, there are so many ways we could do probably a whole nother uh, <laughs> podcast on that. For me personally, I mean, just just being able to be with my family and and the love and everything that that we've got, and we're we're in a situation where we've got a we we, we live where we do. Um, I, I'm we're living in Eastern Canada, far away from anywhere, um, which is odd for the work that I do, which revolves around a lot of travel. But we're just surrounded by this incredible network of family and friends, and and just being able to hang out with them all the time, and and be able to be close to them and, and feel the joy of of people that we love being with, uh, is is really uh, creates a lot of abundance for us for sure. I hope it does for them too. In my professional life, uh, it's really that it goes back to that mission of creating great organizations where people can do their best. I I just think there's so much untapped potential for any number of reasons. Again, we could, we could spend days on podcasts talking about it, but there's so much untapped potential that, that we've got in people, in organizations, and just creating organizations where we get, we un, unleash that and let people come be their authentic, true selves every day, feel like they belong and contribute their best. The, the individuals are better off, the organizations will be better off, and then it, and it just feeds this virtual cycle, virtuous cycle of Man, if we can do that, then we can keep getting better. And it goes back to, it becomes more abundant. Everybody yeah. wins, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm sure that people absolutely loved this podcast episode and they have like many more questions for you. So how does that person get into contact with either you or your team? Uh, the best way to do it is just come to our website, www.ici.com. And uh, we'll be glad to uh, pose a question, jump into our forum, ask a question about anything, and we'll be glad to uh, respond and get get connected with you. That's so awesome. And just as a reminder, if you're listening to this or watching this, make sure that you grab his book, Get In Gear, which is what we were talking about the whole time with the seven gears that drive strategy to results. I think it'll be a great book. Haven't read it yet, but from what you talked about, mm-hmm. it's some amazing content that is uh, much needed by not only founders, but also by management teams, employees. I mean, if anybody reads this book and can just uh, voice one idea from the book, it can make all the difference for the company that you own or the company that you work within. So definitely grab the book. So thank you again, Sean, for coming onto the podcast and giving us a wealth of knowledge, not just in the book, but also on the podcast too. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Jazz Joe, it's been absolutely my pleasure. Much appreciated. Thank you. So that's all we have for today, folks. I hope you got as much value out of this as we did. Keep in mind, the only way we can improve is through constructive feedback. So remember to rate and review this episode. Also, you are not the only person that needs to know this super valuable information. So be sure to subscribe and share as well. Stay tuned for the next episode. And remember to always spread abundance. Peace.